there's an ancient through line with wooden boats. Do you know what I mean? That there's this timeline that's began the dawn of time where men and women got on wooden boats and we're still doing it. And so we're connected in that way through wood. I love wood in, in every other facet of my life as well. and welcome to the Power Motor Yacht Podcast, your birth to the best stories in boating. Each week, my colleagues and I will bring you everything from salty stories to thought-provoking trend discussions, as well as interviews with the most interesting characters to ply the sea. Whether you're listening from the boatyard, your slip, or hopefully well underway, we're glad to have you aboard. Welcome to the Power and Motor Yacht Podcast. I'm Simon Murray, and my guests today are Captain Kelly Farwell and Emmy-winning actor Matthew Reese Evans, Co-owners, is that right? Of movable feast, is that the proper terminology or, or no? In in my mind, we are, but like <laughs> legally, I'd be the only one getting sued. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that sounds perfectly fine with Kelly. But so, movable, well, yeah. you know, I'm not complaining about the arrangement. But there are, uh, you know, I have owned a vessel, so I know there's a lot of advantages to being the owner. Also, like I, I didn't, I mean, I did mind it much of the time but there were plenty of times i was really happy to be the owner so i think it's you know there's good and bad in it for sure and so movable feast is a charter company in brooklyn kelly for the people that because we're we're videotaping this for the listeners that aren't seeing the video kelly is on the boat itself that we're going to be talking mm -hmm. about rare so am, so am i i'm in the galley <laughs> that would be a different boat. I feel it looks like. beautiful, Matthew. We've really, yeah, we've really come a long way. <laughs> that hood, that extractor hood you put in in the galley works wonders. <laughs> She's a wizard. It's amazing. Work. Yeah. Look at those big cabinets. Oh, mm. for the, the herbs we keep now, it's amazing. <laughs> Our cocktail game has increased tenfold. <laughs> really come a long way. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was such a pleasure meeting you both uh, in that serendipitous get together on the docks of 115 Marina in, in Brooklyn Heights. Why were we there? Well, the, the short answer is Matthew bought the boat that Kelly's on currently at the moment. The long answer involves pain, dedication, excitement, a couple lucky breaks and quite a few expletives. I think that's probably right. Uh, but before we get to all of that stuff, because uh, I'm sure we're going to dig into all that, let's talk a little bit about how you two met, because I think that's a good starting point for the listener. How did that come about? Well, you really should have the origin story from, from Kelly, because we... Kel, why don't you start with by saying how you met, if you want to, how you met mm -hmm. Sprite. And then we met Spryzen, and he had, had sent us to you. Yeah, I um, met this captain on one of the New York waterway ferries um, named Paul Spryzer. And it was just a random kind of, you know, meant to be meeting. I was getting on the ferry with my wife and I had our little Shih Tzu in a tote bag. And he saw that and he was like, oh, look at the dog in the bag. And invited us into the wheelhouse, which I was surprised by. I was like, wow, usually you don't really see the captains and like, they're like in their own zone. And um, so we went in and it was just very, 
and it was sort of in the evening um, and everything was just lit up in the pilot house and it was just felt like Star Trek. I was like, wow, it's so cool in here. Like, what a great place to spend your work shift, you know, because I had been in restaurants and I think at that time I was working for a wine importer and I was like, this is so cool. And, and he was so friendly and like talking, talk, 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 this kind of like big part of his personality. Um, and then, you know, we got towards stop and we got off and I was just walking and I just really got this feeling like I want to do that job. I need to find out how to do that job. And the next night I went back to his ferry at the same time place, hoping to see him again and tell him like, I help, you know, how can I get this job? How did you do it? How do I go about it? And he was there and he invited me back up and he's, he just said, I'm going to help you be a captain just like that. Wow. And he did. He started introducing me to people and kind of got my wheel time and got my license going. And then I think he knew Carrie and Matthew and had recommended, well, anyway, once I got my license, I ended up getting my own charter boat going with my wife and Paul was talking us up, I think to, to Carrie and recommended they come on our boat for a charter. And so that's when I first met, I think Carrie came on with her best friend the first time that we met. Yeah, the first time. Cause we thought we, you know, my wife would always go through our reservation list before to see if there were any press people, like just so we were aware. And we saw Carrie Russell and the spelling of her name. I was like, there can't be two Carrie Russells that spell their name like that. Like, I was like, wow, famous person's coming on our little wooden boat. Like, I hope everything works tonight. I hope the toilet flushes, um, you know? <laughs> and I think it did. I think we had a good cruise that night, if I remember. She seemed really happy. Um, that's a plus. Yeah. 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 So that's that was our first meeting. And I think she spoke to me after the cruise, like stayed on to say thank you. And she's always like so friendly and supportive. And then had come back again. And then Matthew had come on. And, and then I kind of got, you know, it's always when you're driving and managing the, operation it's so hard to really sit down and talk to people uh so it was like a quick oh how are you you know and then he bought rare bit and i and i he had emailed me i think you had emailed me matthew to say you were buying this wooden boat and i remember thinking wow okay like that's an undertaking and then i heard from him again much later saying hey, hey cal uh the renovations don't seem to be going that well I don't think would you mind coming out and just taking a look and then I went out and like a stray cat just never left basically <laughs> I love that analogy that's great but and, and we've talked about this I'm sure you you know you've been all over the podcast circuit maybe two times over now Matthew but what why rare bit and, and how did that happen because the story behind it is pretty funny I mean there was a few reasons you know I was you know, I, I would occasionally kind of scroll the, troll the internet for looking at boats and, you know, it, it was completely by chance. I was on eBay and I saw, and I saw this boat um, and she kind of caught my eye for a number of reasons that it was an old wooden boat built in New York and it's the kind of thing I'm, I was, I'm always drawn to anyway. I saw she was called Raybit. Uh, and that she was built in 1939. And obviously being Welsh and knowing there's a famous dish called Welsh Rebe, I thought, oh man, this is fate drawing me towards <laughs> the eBay posting. And then I saw she was a Wheeler Playmate, you know, which was this, the same class that 
Ernest Hemingway had. And all these blocks like just started falling into place. I was like, wow, she's built in Brooklyn, so close to, you know, to where, where we live back in the day. And then I thought, she's in, if she's in, you know, if we could restore her, it would, I immediately thought there was a very strong marketing angle for her because there wasn't, there weren't, you know, anything. I couldn't see any real boats in the harbor that chartered like Rabbit. There would be small, intimate, that could have this connection to Brooklyn and New York and this kind of, you know, one of the most famous boats, I think, in the world is Pilar, you know, Hemingway's Pilar, which was um, a wheeler playmate. So there are all these things kind of tsunamied over me, as well as a few glasses of something other other. And I <laughs> went ahead and bought an old wooden boat. And I love how you do you default to we, as in like, because obviously, you know, Kelly wasn't really in the picture at that point, aside from probably giving you uh, maybe be a little concerned that you're going into this project, but you you de you default to we like you and Carrie made the decision together. But I don't think that was the case, right? I mean, you've kind of taken your family by the neck, the scruff of the neck, and brought them with you on this adventure. Oh yes, oh yeah. There's no sorry. Yes, there was no we in that. that <laughs> in, kind of, I look back and I go, you know, our son Sam was a baby, so maybe there was just so much going on with her. She was like. Sure, you want to buy a what boat? Yeah, sure, go. Yeah, whatever. I don't think I don't think I certainly don't think either of us thought it through properly to the extent that I should have. Um, but then you know, in in fairness, there were there were a number of other hurdles that you know Kelly and I kind of had to overcome, did overcome that that a normal restoration wouldn't have had to. Mm -hmm. So I we were right. a little plagued at the beginning. Um, with this, that, and the other. So it did take a touch longer than I think we wanted to, but to all good, you know, to all, to all th those who talk all good things to those who wait. Right. And first enough. And I think it bears mentioning too, you know, the, the caveat that you mentioned just now that it maybe you went through more trouble than the typical restoration, but also at the same time, you had never owned a boat before, right? I mean, pretty much of this caliber or any boat, really. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely not. So I, you know, there, there are those who own boats and ask me sometimes how what I had before. <laughs> I go, this is my first boat. <laughs> and then it, the answer comes into two categories. Those people who understand the folly, like, oh, I understand. The reason you bought an old wooden boat is because you had no idea what you were doing. <laughs> and there are those go, this was your first boat? <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> both, so, both parties, yeah. Both parties are looking at you like with understanding and maybe like a little bit perplexed, but that's... I, the, the, fir the, first, the first kind of, oh, right, you bought a wooden boat because you didn't know anything better, they look at you with pity. And then those who kind yeah. of go, bought an old wooden boat as your first boat, look at you as if you're the court jester or the village idiot. <laughs> and, and hopefully those aren't the people that are out on this charter with you on the East River, like this is the first boat that you've owned. Should we be concerned? But those no. two, those two reactions were predominantly in in the boatyard. Yeah, exactly. So speaking of the speaking of the boatyard, so kind of walk me through a little bit of like what happens next. So you buy the boat on eBay. Uh, I think it was in California, right? You get it trucked over, um, and what happens next? It it seems like Kelly doesn't come in and make her kind of triumphant 
assistance until much later. You had the boat for a couple of years. Uh, not quite. Not quite. No, not a couple of years. Not possibly. I think it was like eight months. Yeah. Because it was yeah. like you got it in the fall, and I came on the following summer. That's right. That's mm. right. And, and you know, I had you know we had someone working on it, and it wasn't going. It wasn't going to plan, which is why I call emailed Kelly in the summer, kind of going, "Hey, can you?" I'm gonna come over and have a look at this. Uh, I'll never forget her reaction, and she did. <laughs> Shocked, very, very, very surprised and unsettled. And yeah. then, not what no. I was expecting. Yeah. <laughs> no. But but thank God, you know, took the bull by the horns in that moment. So yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I. I really had no idea what to expect at all. I I didn't have an image in my head, but I know when I saw Rarebit, it that wasn't it. <laughs> I just thought for the amount of time, because I knew he had had the boat for a while, and I I didn't realize it would be so torn up. You know, like I thought it would be like okay, maybe some things aren't getting finished quick enough. You know, but that they would still be working well or at least working in the right direction but just going slow because I kind of knew who was working on the boat and you know it could go slow and get a little bit off track sometimes but not not in any kind of way that I came upon where I just really I was really stunned yeah good word for it and it's I don't get stunned very easily at this I'm point sure. in my life but I I was <laughs> I couldn't believe that was the boat I couldn't believe it I still can't believe it in hindsight. Right. Yeah. And so you come on as a day laborer. You're kind of assisting, mm -hmm. not really the project manager at this point. You're just kind mm -hmm. of assisting where you can. And then yeah. the way you told it to me on the docks of 115 is that people just kept falling off. And then eventually it was just you and, and Matt. Yeah. Pretty much. And I'm not one to step on people's toes. Like, even if I see like, oh, they're not getting it done or like they're taking advantage or whatever my opinions and they were many <laughs> were at the time, I still respect because that's what I was taught in this industry. Like I wasn't the lead. Matthew's the owner of the boat. If he wanted to change it, you know, I'd be happy to, to change it to help him more. But at that time, I think it was like he was already in pretty deep and it was like, let's see if we can just get him. Like I was trying to push them like, OK, let's stay on track, guys. Let's OK, let's do the floor. Let's, you know, like and it just it was just uphill all the time over and over and over. And it just became I think what what changed is because I was working and organized and showing up, then there wasn't a place anymore to be off track it became clear like who wasn't working and they just kind of went away because they were just in the way and not getting things done. And like, it's almost like somebody, whether it was me or someone else had to come in and be there every day, working, working, working and being organized. And like, what are we doing here? What's the process? How can we save some money? How can we, because otherwise it was just like a, it felt like like a playland for this disorganization and it was sort of like, because Matthew, you know, we all know he has a day job. It's really important. And, you know, he can't be at the yard every single day. So it's like, you have to trust the people that you bring in. And I felt like 
I just felt like he was being taken advantage of. That's, that's how it looked to me, whether it was intentional or not. I know a lot of it wasn't, but there was some where it was just like, okay, if you guys can't get this done, then tell him mm. and move on. So he can get, you know, make the next decision for himself, what he needs to do. And it, it, it did sort of be like, okay, well, I guess that's what happens when people do start working. The ones that don't have to go someplace else it just doesn't make sense for them to be around. It's not like anybody made them leave. They just went and then we were happy they were gone. It was right. like, okay, great. That worked out by, yeah. right. <laughs> they didn't, clearly didn't want to do the work anyway. So like, don't come. And, right. You know? And, and some of the problems that, I mean, not to touch on too much of the negative, but some of the problems that happened was like, they, they cut the transom, right? By mm-hmm. a bunch, like, yeah. it feels to me a little bit like, uh, you know, in his in historical like a, a historical analogy is like the Sphinx's nose getting shot off by soldiers in World War II. It's like, <laughs> how did this? Who let this happen? You know, and uh, exactly. And so that that happens. Is there any other things that like that seriously affected the you know the restoration of this old classic vessel, oh. <laughs> or is it too much to count? Uh, well, I mean, if you want to go. I, my opinion would be like, if you want to go in the category of major, I would say maybe like the whole first fiberglass treatment. Mm. That would be like, that really set us back <laughs> since we had to strip it all off and spline redo all of it from below scratch. It wasn't even like it went back to the way the boat had been, which was this beautiful wooden boat. It had been put on, I think when it was damp, it was a very wet summer and it was a rush job. And I think a lot of the glass didn't take, it didn't cure and hold properly, but then the seams got waterlogged. So like everything just got so, it was such a mess. And Matt and I just like had to chisel and tear off all of it, all of it and start all over again. So I would say that was probably- I'm going to interject because Kelly very graciously says, Matt and I, I would turn up when I could to chisel out the seams. But the hero's portion of that hull was chiseled out by Captain Kelly Powell. She's just like a one-woman band. Is it really is. What um, it's easy, yeah. I was I was motivated by catharsis because it was sort of like an awful feeling to know. But then you feel, I don't know if you love wood boats, you feel like the boat's suffocating once you realize like this glass is holding all this moisture and it shouldn't be in the boat. And like, you know, it's going to rot if you don't get it off. It was just like, this sucks, but like, let's just get this. Off. Let's just, let's have a do over. Let's, let's get this out of here. And like, I don't care what it takes. And it, you know, it was no small job to, to do all of that, but it felt really good because I knew like we were sort of freeing the boat from this horrible uh, containment of, bad work that was just causing more destruction by it staying on because it wasn't good enough to go on its own bottom but it was on enough to keep the moisture or rain or whatever was getting into the boat in there and just taking it the wood you know like they didn't really coat the whole inside so they glassed the outside left the inside wood so you know what happens if the rain gets in the boat and the wood swells it breaks the glass you know it was just like a we kind of got to a point where it's like you just can't keep asking why because 
is just too many of those moments. So it was a lot, but it felt good. It was like, all right, let's just clean slate, get rid of all this stuff and start, start again. It sounds like you're like a, a medic in war, kind of like applying like a tourniquet, you know, it's like you, you have to stop the bleeding as fast as possible and really yeah. you know, get things going in the better direction. You mentioned, you know, I, I know when we spoke, you mentioned sanding, caulking, working with epoxy mm-hmm. with some of the big things, but you also just mentioned splining. Can you, mm-hmm. can you uh, explain what that is and, and how that, what that looked like on yeah. Rarebit? Splining, well, when we really, we consulted with somebody on the, how to really fiberglass properly um, when we decided to, to not keep it a wood boat for this harbor and for the age of the boat, it made more sense to try to just re-glass it properly. It became clear like this, once we cleaned out all the seams, because the boat had been out of the water for, for so many years and it had had several hull treatments, the seams, and from like stripping the seams, they got kind of worked over. They were all different shapes and size. It's not like it was a machine factory, you know, all splines fit all seams. That's what was so hard about it. But basically splining, yeah, you just cut these strips of wood that would be anywhere from probably like an eighth up to, in some cases, almost a half inch thick. Um, Clean out the seams between the planks, dry them out really, really well, and then epoxy and pound in those long slats. So basically you're making one big wooden core. So the seams are essentially done being seams now. Like they, there's no soft material. It's all oak and mahogany uh, that we hammered and epoxied in. And then you sand it all down flush and you've got a nice wooden hull that is very, very sound just on its own. And then you put the fiberglass on over that and you've got like a really nice kind of double double skin hull. But yeah, anyway, that was like a, that was a, that was a lot of work, but it was very satisfying. And then once we sanded it all down, I was like, this looks so good. Like I was so happy with it. And I don't always feel happy with my work. It takes a lot, but I was really happy with that. Was that the turning point you guys would say in like when things started improving, getting better? I I think about that time, right? Yeah. And I remember you, I remember Kelly saying, it looks like it'll work now. It looks like right. a bust solid hull. For the first time, yeah. you went, this looks like it'll work. It was like, right. it, was, it was definitely a turning point of like, <laughs> this might just work. Oh, that was, you know, free glassing. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. When they were sanded down, you, you know, you looked at it and you went, oh, wow. Yeah, it looks like that will withhold water. Yeah. Which is key. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that was the goal number one. <laughs> yeah, high on our list. And so we, mm-hmm. we talked about this, we mentioned it maybe briefly before, but, you know, we, we spoke about your ownership of the water table. It was a little mm-hmm. bit fortuitous that you were available to come on because it's not like the water yeah. table was kind of taking on all of your time and energy. Right. I know it's really sad. And I, I in the this feature story that's going to be coming out in the, January issue of uh, Power and Motor Yacht. I kind of touched on this a little bit, but can you walk me through kind of what happened? I mean, I know you talk about mm-hmm. the water table being destroyed as like losing a loved one. And I think that's, I think a lot of right. our listeners are, would probably agree. Like a boat that you put yeah. so much time and energy into 
getting, mm-hmm. you know, destroyed like that is, is an awful feeling. It was an awful, <laughs> it was an awful feeling. Um, yeah, basically we had done our dry dock inspection for the Coast Guard in 2017 and it was the end of winter or yeah, maybe February, March, um, it was February. And they put us back in the water and you know, it's wood. So it has to sit for a couple of days and swell back up before you get underway to, to go back wherever you're going. And we were only in the water, maybe 20 minutes, not even. Again, I went on with my shipwright at the time who would help me on dry dock inspections. And this big tugboat came in. We were tied up just to this dock where they had put us. A big tugboat came in and was maneuvering to pick up a smaller tugboat. And he went astern and just basically like T-boned us going astern into the dock, like a sandwiched us into the dock, um, which on the boat just felt like a boom. Like, what was that? You know, almost like a tremor instead of an earthquake. Like, it's like, whoa, what just happened? I looked out the window and I just see this mess stern of a massive tugboat like right there and I was like that's not going to be good for us and and revolution was a tank of a boat for a wood boat but you can't really compete with like a big steel tug and I don't I'm guessing he didn't even see us and I don't know I it was a hit and run he didn't stick around to oh my god I didn't even know that wow do, do the right thing yeah he didn't stick around to do the right thing you know, oftentimes people don't in this industry have grown to just expect it. But um, yeah, that was, and so basically it didn't sink like, you know, the Titanic, but like it took on enough water that it flooded the engine and it took on, on its final taking on of water. It was like, um, well, I keep hearing the comment that someone on the boat used, I'm thinking of a different measurement because he said it was up to his crotch used a different word um so a good three and a half three and a half feet if you're a five eight man i guess i don't know wow yeah but that's just like so such a rough. unceremonious end to that boat and you yeah you, and i saw that you, you had like an indiegogo campaign you raised funding for mm-hmm. it it sounded like it was very mm-hmm. successful maybe one of the first dinner boats in brooklyn or even new york it was so. the first yeah yeah so it was the first in brooklyn and it it was successful in the in the joy that it gave people and the satisfaction that it gave my wife and I. It wasn't a financial success, that's for that is for sure. But it was sort of like, you know, we weren't really doing it for the money. That would have been great, but it, you know, it was just a special experience. And that's, you know, was what it was. And it's hard to know why things happen the way they do, but it did, and here we are now. So, but speaking a little of fate, though, I mean, as you're kind of implying, it does seem a little, I don't know, like if fortune kind of favors someone maybe down in their luck. And now you kind of you and Matt have kind of developed this new charter operation mm-hmm. that maybe wouldn't have been yeah. the case if so. Yeah, I guess things happen for a reason in this case. Yeah. And things run, I feel like it's like relationships. Sometimes it's the right person for the right amount of time. And when that's done, you find the next person, you know, and they're going to better suit you because we're always changing. And the revolution couldn't go on forever anyway. Boats have a lifespan much of the time or a financial lifespan. And right. it just, 
it was a beast, you know, that was a beast of an operation and put it that way. It's a manageable operation. It's a lot of work, but it's very satisfying. And, you know, Matt is a, a great partner to work with, whether that's like a full owner partnership or whatever it's we're partners in this crazy crime that we're in here. <laughs> so now <laughs> you can be found captaining rare bit. Matt will come <laughs> out sometimes and, you know, it sounds like you're kind of a all hands kind of jack of all trades, maybe make the cocktails, serve charcuterie. <laughs> uh, it just sounds like a really pleasant experience for people. And, um, you know, you both are clearly enamored with classic boats. That's definitely mm-hmm. a through line that you guys share. So maybe you can enlighten some of our, our listeners, myself included, because I come to boats in like a see new model, go test it kind of way. What's the biggest draw for you in these older models? And I think you touched on it a little bit, Kelly, but what would you say it is? Well, <clears throat> I think I know I touched on it when I, I'm, I'm always drawn to older, older boats. When I say a wooden boat, I'm intrigued by it. It's the boat I would like to look at or, or be on. There's white fiberglass. I know you might shut me off at this moment on this podcast, but white fiberglass doesn't really do anything for me. <laughs> um, I, I love, the, you know, that, there's this through line, there's this, and, 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 and I remember Kelly saying this years ago, years ago, oh my God, it's been that long. <laughs> there's, like, there's an ancient through line with wooden boats. Do you know what I mean? That there's this timeline that's began the dawn of time where men and women got on wooden boats and we're still doing it. And so we're connected in that way through wood. I love wood in, in every other facet of my life as well. So, um, when it meet, you know, the it, it fulfills every criteria that I love, and I, you know, I love, I love the history of it. Um, and one thing Wes Wheeler said, uh, which I, I'm sure we'll get to him in a minute, which is I totally agree, is what I one of the things I love most about Rabbit is her smell. Wow, mm-hmm. Kelly, anything else that you would add to that? Yeah, I think that. Um... I think I feel a responsibility at this point um, in sort of keeping this craft alive. You know, it's a dying art. I don't know if it's an art or a craft or it's a little of both. (laughs) Uh, It's a little of a lot of things, but it really still blows my mind that people cross the friggin' ocean in wooden boats. I mean, people don't even want to go in a river and in them sometimes it's like don't underestimate these boats like yes their work yeah you know they have a bad reputation um but i also do survey work on the side and i can tell you there's plenty of fiberglass boats that have a lot of problems so i just feel i love history and i love keeping this alive i think it's important nothing feels like a wood boat it wood holds energy because it's organic. That's my belief, at least. And I feel like I see that in people when they come on the boat. And I know Matt has seen it in his time on Rarebit. They just, people are really transported to a different place. My wife used to call it the boat magic, where they come on like busy New Yorkers and like, you know, their normal selves. And then they get off and they're just really in a magical place. And what an amazing thing to get to give to people and to to share with them and yeah, the smells and just the way things are made. It's just so different now 
that I think it's just so important to keep those things alive, you know? Like I feel desperate to be part of that process. I hope in my lifetime, at least, it doesn't go by the wayside, you know? I'm 50 now, so I've got a good shot at working on wood boats until, until the very end, but... Um, <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't come to that, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just feel like a real sense of responsibility to to all the people that probably have passed on at this point that that put so much heart and labor and skill and ingenuity into making these things these incredible experiences for people yeah so matt you mentioned west wheeler i think we should touch on that uh briefly i somewhat intentionally kind of left that out because he's a the third party in this mix him and marianne being on the docks that day um was was really thrilling i know uh you were no i, I wrote in the story that you were noticeably starstruck around wes because he's carrying on this wheeler name i think he's third or fourth generation of this family um and you know he was there aboard legend which is a wheeler 38 a modern wheeler it's the newest wheeler built in 50 years and i actually crunched the numbers Rarebit and Legend were built 81 years apart, which kind of speaks to what Kelly was saying, which maybe this is like the end of the line of wooden boats. Maybe, certainly that could be the case, but I think he's making a, a case that maybe these modern wooden boats can continue to thrive in this, in this world. Um, but that was just a mind blowing to me. It was a, it was a privilege to be there. And I know you felt the same way, right? I mean, linking up with him was kind of the, the culmination of this journey, would you say? Yeah, it was a, it was a number of things. <clears throat> I don't know if I was starstruck. I was more worried that he was going to go, what have you done to this boat? Or <laughs> 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 oh, where's the mast? Which <laughs> you know. um, he did a little bit, right? I mean, he, he did chide you for the, uh, the transom, which he picked up on immediately. Oh, yeah, straight away. And the mast. He was like, where is the mast? <laughs> and I was like, we wanted to get, like, it was, getting her into the water in May was an enormous achievement. Um, you know, you know, the, the, the mast, I don't, correct me if I'm rank, wrong, Cal, you know, hopefully will come next season. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, was, it was a number of things. I was, I was, I was kind of, I was proud, very proud of what, you know, Kelly and I, Kelly had achieved in, in getting to this moment where one of his family's, you know, lineage was gonna, you know, set out into New York Harbor next to his brand new um, wooden vessel. And, and, you know, it was the old, it was the old and the new. And, and you know, to, to touch on what you just said, I'm, I'm, I am hoping that, you know, people like Wes Wheeler, especially Wes Wheeler, will take wood boating into the future because they'll they'll kind of create hopefully more problem-free wooden boats for people where they can go you can still have these incredible aesthetics of wooden boats and hopefully you know with modern technology it won't be the headache of an 81 year old boat right like all the things that we just mentioned won't it, it's turnkey it's it's the opposite of those things it's like you can just get on that boat and you could feel like Ernest Hemingway aboard Pilar because that was their, you know, that was what it was built to be. Uh, oh, but yeah. You don't have, you know, you have all the modern accoutrements that we've all grown to love. 
uh, clearly not you two, you guys don't need that stuff, which, you know, kudos to you. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> um, but I guess actually it's a good segue into my next question, which is, you know, operating the water table, which was a converted PT boat now operating rare bit. And then Matthew kind of spoke about that day being out on the East river. And then, you know, on the lower end of Manhattan, you see all the jet skis, you see the fast ferries that throw up a huge wake. How difficult is it to operate these boats? I mean, I feel like Kelly, you're clearly not an unsung hero on this pod because we've definitely sung your praises, but that alone would be nerve wracking to me, especially if it's a, if it's a restaurant, a restaurant too, to manage. I mean, that's unbelievable. Yeah, it is nerve wracking. There's no question about that. Um, both of those both you know, both the revolution and rare, but I had, you know, a learning curve. Um, I, it took time. It took me, you know, revolution of one engine and it was a big tank of a boat and rarebit has two brand new engines and different controllers. So it, it took me a minute to get comfortable. I'm pretty comfortable in the Harbor cause I know what that animal is. I know there's always stuff in the water. I know I'm going to get waked. I know it's trafficy. Like I know it's very windy and the East river's crazy. Like this, there's not a lot of unknowns at this point. I think I sometimes feel like it's an adventure. Like that's how I feel like I'm, it's crazy to say this, but like I'm going out to sea, you know, and it's sort of like, you're not, but in this Harbor, it can be, it's a very active job. You're not just sitting back in a captain's seat, balancing your checkbook in your head while you're just steering straight away you know like it's a con it's like a video game you have to watch so many different things all the time be thinking about the people on the boat because we don't have a bow thruster and a gyro stabilizer like Wes's boat we're old school <laughs> keeping the uh the Cadillac as it is and um and I think we have a lot of fun on it for that because it's a boat ride you know you you roll you you pitch, you know, all of those things. I mean, there's benefits to both, but um, we we did a, um, we had like a Zoom video of that day and there's like a shot in the video where you can definitely tell which boat has the stabilizer and which doesn't. Cause you know, Legends just like cruising nice and easy and rare bits out there, like, you know, it's in a perfect storm, like pitching and, you know, it's just like, it was like, that's fun. Like, I, I like that. And I like the chat, you know, I say this now, I like the challenge of not having those things that make your life easier or make it more comfortable. I definitely, when I was learning, was like, how would this boat just, you know, like you just get so frustrated. But um, now I'm like, I like the challenge of not having a bow thruster. You just have to, and I think in my head, well, other people did it for centuries. You know, right. it's not like the East River became an unmanageable thing. Like it's always been unmanageable. So people have to figure it out. You have to use your resources as a human, understand the boat and have an intuitive connection with it and some skill, obviously, and a good crewman with you. And, you know, it feels like old boat handling. Like you really have to think about the wind, like not just for what's the convenience, but like, no, this is really going to impact if we can even get this boat in the slip right now. <laughs> and know, I think do we have to reverse in at like full throttle just to, get this thing lined up like it's it's the challenge but i've 
because I'm comfortable now in a boat, I, I do like it a lot. I prefer it to having things just be like, oh, let's just walk this boat sideways and no one's even going to feel anything. Like That's not really me. <laughs> and I think it takes a rare breed to do that and, and to look at that more as a fun challenge than a nerve wracking kind of experience. Uh, but I think it also yeah. doesn't hurt that you you graduated from the USCG Merchant Marines, right? With a with a uh, master captain license. Is that not right? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. I would say that I have a Merchant Mariner 100 gross ton license. I was never a Merchant Marine. It's a that's a real confusion point. Merchant Marine was something of wartime. They don't even really exist anymore. So mm. Merchant Mariner is like a different, it's it's like terminology basically, but it's not like a, you're not like a service member or anything like that. It's it's just, uh, you know, you abide by like all the Coast Guard stuff for sure, but like, you're not like a member of the Coast Guard or, or the Merchant Marines or anything. Um, but you did operate, like that. you did operate ferries though, which I'd say mm-hmm. like, that, that's yeah. certainly... I mean, that of all the, the things that one could operate, I'd say that's fairly nerve wracking too. So you do have background in it, which, which helps, right? I mean, I think- it is, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, it is and it isn't. Like the revolution is where I really, really learned about boating. Like, hmm. When I say, like when I first got my own boat, because it happened so quickly when I got my license and it was so different than any other boat. And when you're getting wheel time, you don't have your own boat. So you're just like stepping on here for a minute, stepping on there for hours. Like you're just- getting all kinds of different things but when I really when I got the rev like you you have to to do a single screw wood boat like you really have to work on your boat handling and you really have to use all your resources and your and pray you know you have to pray a lot uh but you know pray to pray to anybody who's listening to help you um but I would say that's where I really got my my experience yeah as far as being a good boat handler the ferries are souped up like like anything else it's it's they can can do anything you want with them it doesn't require the same amount of planning ahead and being quick on your feet in the same way because you can't make rarebit do something she doesn't want to do that's it's just that's not going to happen and i mean i I can't even imagine i i can't say i've had much experience with older boats so i i can't even (laughs) fathom i i think i would be doing more than praying i think i'd be able throwing a lot of curse words out there, but, uh, um, well, I've done that too. <laughs> and fair <laughs> enough. Uh, I, I wanted to briefly touch on the New York times story that ran written by Gabrielle Bluestone, uh, appropriately titled Matthew Reese hits the seas. Um, but I think it also went into a little bit how, you know, you're the fourth ever female ferry captain in New York, right? That has been picked up in, run with over the years when i got my license back in 2011 2012 i think i got my 2012 when i first got my license at that time i was the fourth master captain in the class of license that i have so it wasn't about the ferry boats it was about the size of the license and now there's definitely a lot more women because I know like on the ferries, they, they work with maritime schools and there are a lot more women coming out of there with like able-bodied seaman licenses where they believe those are interchangeable with the master captain's licenses, I believe. Okay. Um, so that's no longer current, but I, you know, it was sort of of that time, you know, at that time, yeah, there was nobody, there were no women on the, you know, there was like one woman who drove a water taxi 
one woman who came through on a tug, me, and I think there was one woman on the Staten Island Ferry. Wow. And you really didn't. And now it's it's so funny to be on Rarebit listening to the radio because when I was out there, I was when I had the revolution, I was on the radio all the time. So it was a much bigger vessel and I was new. So I was always communicating and you really, you know, it was not fun out there. It was, you know, I would have guys getting on there telling me over the radio, over the main channel, I should be home changing diapers, you know, cat calling me, I mean, you name it, you name it. It happened all the time. And cat calling you on the VHF. You, you don't, oh yeah. You wouldn't believe like, oh my God. you would not believe back then. Cause it was like one ferry boat company that was like very, I don't know if blue collar is the right, I don't know how to say it, but a very like boys clubby, very, very boys clubby. And, you know, I was all about mine and my business. Like, I don't like to have a large footprint anywhere in the world. So it was just like, why are they, felt like bullying, you know, it's sort of like, why are they picking on this little, the little boat that could. And I feel like it's just like, they're bored. They're like bored 12 year old boys with nothing to do. They don't have their own thing going. They're driving a ferry in a circle all day long. So why not harass the girl that they think knows nothing who bought this wood boat, similar situation to Matthew, didn't know what I was doing. And it's like, well, maybe those things are true, but I friggin' learned. Matthew learned and like, we're two of, I mean, I want to sound like a bragger, but like two of the best out there because we have hard boats. You have those situations where you don't have all these gadgets to like get yourself out of bad situations. You have to just rely on each other and just put everything you have into it. And, you know, it was a relief to hear so much less of that now because so much has changed even from 2012, even like socially, like guys can't behave like that openly anymore people get sued now for saying stupid shit like that like right. you just can't do it and like why are you going to knock down a woman why are you going to do that like don't you have a mother or a daughter or a sister like come on like and and that's the, the problem sometimes lev leveled at boating for some reason it's boating maybe other hobbies but mostly boating is that they're not it's not very inclusive it's like they're always so people no. are so quick to pick apart the person that messes up or, you know, I mean, yeah. boating, a lot of things can go wrong and normally they do most of the time they do. Oh, so yeah. it, it's very tribal in a weird way. Um, but I'm glad to yeah, hear that it's it kind of advanced and you guys are the real deal. I mean, you guys operate uh, a boat that's, you know, we're not even talking years old. We're talking decades. So it's like, yeah. you guys are operating a, a piece of history at this point. Um, so, right. But I'm glad to hear that's that. That's how we it's feel, digital. you know, that's how we feel. I think we feel that we're just not in that world. You know, we're in this world where it's a small world of the wooden boat people, especially the old wooden boat people. And I don't mean the old people, you know, I feel old, but um, the old boats <laughs> with the young at heart people. <laughs> um, and so I kind of think of it as like, that's, that's their problem over there. You know, like I don't, but like people have kind of, left me alone in general because it really has changed like you just you can't behave like that anymore and I I'm really happy for the women out there now that they don't have to endure the harassment because it was a lot of harassment people waking my boat so hard that like when I had the revolution people would fall over and like land on the floor just to just to mess with me you know like it, it just happened all the time I complain nobody wants to hear it 
nobody does anything for you. You know, you go to agencies that are supposed to manage it and they don't, they don't care. You know, they don't, nobody's gonna, no one wants to change, you know, they don't want it to change. They want it to stay that way. And now so many women have come and they don't have any choice. They have to change. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I could be an asset to you. Women are natural multitaskers. Like, let's be friends. <laughs> I might have some ideas that'll work for you. Like, geez, sure. I can sit and have a beer and talk about football like the next person. I don't have to be a guy to do that. Like, and something clearly, everybody has something to offer. You know? Yeah, and, and clearly it, it, it speaks to your resiliency to, 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 you know, work through that. But also, you know, that comes out in other aspects of your life, like following through yeah. with this, this rare bit project and and now helming it yourself right. again. I mean, it, it truly is. It's, it makes you who you are. Uh, and that's, you know, that should right. be celebrated. And I'm glad it oh, seems like things, seems like things are changing, hopefully for the better. Um, yeah. My mother was very, very good from when I was a very small kid. I was always a tomboy and I would be like, Oh, this pharmacist said I look like a boy with my short hair. And she's like, Kelly, as long as you and I know the truth, don't worry about what anyone thinks you just do you kind of thing, you know? And she was really, really good with that. Like, why are you worried about these people? Like, don't worry about them. And it's hard as a kid, you know, you want to seek vengeance or have your mom march down there and get in their faces. But like, she's like, the best thing you can do is ignore it and do better for yourself. And like, it really, that really stuck with me over the years. And I, I'm grateful for it now. It was, I was impatient as a kid to hear things like that, like anyone, but now I'm like, thank God she's that way. Cause that right. serves me. It's a, it's a natural talent for me to ignore people now. Like, cause I've had to do it my whole life. <laughs> it's like, right. you know, and obviously I picked an industry where it's going to be brought to me all the time. Um, and now I don't, I don't care. I mean, Matthew is like one of the best people and men I've ever met. And like, we have a great working relationship and I'm glad that he has a son because it gives me hope that he's raising a, a good another good man to be and that's how change happens you mm-hmm. know? and i think what your what your mom said was good advice and also i yeah. think that you guys being the oldest boat on the dock will always have will always stick out in some capacity but i think that's a good oh, thing we, i'm sure we will <laughs> <laughs> i have it's a real it's a real point of pride it's a point of pride for me in the marina when people come by and and everyone always stops and goes oh wow what a great boat and then you like go what, what is it? How old? And you go like, oh, 1939. They go, what? Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, we made, you know, that's why I, it's a real point of pride. I'm always like, we did it. We did it. Yeah. She's, she's in and she's not just in, she's, she's earning her keep and working, yep. which is amazing. Yeah. Speaking of that, is there any advice you would give to another person undertaking? Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> and... I told you at the start, and I'll tell you again. <laughs> and speaking of that, is there another boat on the horizon for either of you? Oh, yes, yes. Really? Is, is that no. right? <laughs> we're still working on this one. We're, we're still Hi. not we're still not at the finish. We're never going to be finished, but they, we're, we're just at the point where it's like, wow, we're, we're out of the, like, is she going to run? Is she going to do okay with these engines? You know, all these unknowns into like, wow, now we can really, we can put the mask on. We can, you know, think outside of those big, big, you know, punch list items to like, oh, let's see what, you know, let's reglass the roof and reglass the foredeck and really paint it a different color. And like, just more, I feel like it's just more, 
creative stuff, which is really fun to think about as opposed to just this a little bit of a desperate toiling away with all, all you have is your hope because literally nobody knows if it'll work. Mm. And your belief in each other, like Matt always has believed in me, he always. And it's sort of like, that's like the wind in my sail because I'm very determined. And I think if I'm given a chance, I, I'll figure it out. I don't, mm. you know, I don't, I never doubt myself. I, I don't like, I get down on myself, but I don't, I, I think I have a good brain. So I'm like, well, just give me a chance and like, let's collaborate and, and we'll make it happen. It may not be pretty, but this, we're going to freaking get this boat in the water and it'll be what it is. Uh, I think it's pretty, yeah. I think it's fairly pretty. I think that's almost like objectively the case. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> who has this, who has such a dogged determination to figure something out, do it. And what you don't know is she has an art background as well. So aesthetic is a big key that always comes out tops but there's not there's literally nothing we've thrown at kelly that she's gone i figured it out and i've done it i was like when she's like yesterday <laughs> i think everyone needs that in their life somebody like that just to knock these things out oh my god i get a lot of satisfaction out of figuring that out figuring I, I, anything out yeah yeah Sadly, i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to leave unfortunately i've got to jump on another zoom that's perfect. Um, I think we're, we hit the end. So I'll just close it out. Um, you know, for the listeners, they should go to Movable Feast New York or ny.com and book their two hour cruise, get served cocktails and charcuterie by Matt as you explore the sites around lower Manhattan with Kelly at the helm. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> I, I really did enjoy it. Thanks, and uh, I look forward to hopefully coming aboard someday. We'll, we'll yeah, see. You, know, you have to. Yes. Make your way back up here. We'll be happy to take you. Let's do it. Very true. Thanks a million. Well, thanks so much, guys. Thank you for listening to the Power Motor Yacht Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and leave us a review or rating. Or you can share us with your friends on social media or on the VHF. Anywhere you spread the word means a lot to us. Thanks again. And until next time, we'll see you on the water.